think of some kind of an image we have of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the child Jesus at the time of his birth, or in these eight days after his birth, this newborn child with his mother. And of course, over the centuries, there have been countless works of art, which all really invite us into worshiping her son, the Redeemer. And Christian piety acknowledges that there are many numerous titles for Mary. Today we celebrate her motherhood. And really, this is the most important one, and really the foundation for all the other titles we have for her. It's the reason for all the other ones as well. Her motherhood is why she had to be full of grace. Her motherhood is why she had to be conceived without sin. And her motherhood is what makes the Immaculate Conception make sense. We acknowledge that the Lord prepared her in a special way. That's why her body is special enough not to undergo corruption. That's why now she experiences the life that was meant for us, that was fortified by sin by our first parents, that life that is with the fullness of God looking upon his face. That's why we can call her, as St. Luke tells us in the gospel, the one whom all generations would call blessed. So this day, then, we are invited to praise God for this great gift and praise God and thanking him for this great gift of his, of his mother and also our spiritual mother. Later on during Mass, we'll have the prayer after communion. And that prayer after communion comes from the 7th century where it acknowledges Mary as mother of the church. Now, if we're members of the church, that makes her our mother as well. And the, the first record of that being used is from this prayer that we'll hear a little bit later, from 13 centuries ago. But just like all Marian feasts, this one reminds us who Jesus is. It reminds us of the incarnation, that God Almighty took on human flesh. He didn't somehow plop out of heaven and start preaching the gospel, but he was born of a human mother complete with his own humanity, while not forfeiting his own divinity. Reminding us that he grew from that age, from really from the, from the time of the Annunciation, in his mother's womb, continued growing into full manhood, and preached the gospel. And every Marian feast tells us something about Jesus. This one goes all the way back to the 5th century, where some heretics in the early church they said, we couldn't call Mary the mother of God. We could only call her the mother of Christ. And some would even say we could call her the mother of his human nature. Well, mothers don't give birth to a nature. They give birth to a person. And he is one person, fully God and fully human. So this feast gives us the ability and really the opportunity to unpack the things that we already believe about Jesus and pay attention to them at least once a year. And the correct teaching prevailed all those centuries ago at Ephesus. They acknowledge that Christ is both human and divine. He is not divided. And therefore, if his mother gave birth to him, she is the mother of God. Cyril of Alexandria, who was at the council, he was exceedingly astounded, it says, that anyone could have any doubt that she could be called the mother of God because Jesus is God. And she's his mother because she gave birth to him. And Cyril points out that even though we don't have record of the apostles using these exact words, this is the faith that was passed down to us from the apostles. 
We also notice Jesus' great example. He loved Mary because he was a faithful son. And as a faithful son, he followed the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. So we have this opportunity as Christians to imitate Jesus, to also love Mary, to honor his mother. It gives us that, that invitation and the opportunity to imitate him, to show that love. So this feast develops because of the Council of Ephesus way, way back then, where they acknowledged the Blessed Mother as the Theotokos, the God-bearer, not just the Christ-bearer. Eventually the feast fell on October 11th, but then not too long ago, St. Pope Paul VI, he moved, in, he moved the feast in 1970 to the octave day of Christmas, this eighth day putting it in the context of the birth of Jesus, and also giving us the opportunity of celebrating it at the new year. So Christmas reminds us of that motherhood and the infant that she carries in her womb and then lays in a manger. But also the, the new year reminds us of the resolutions that we make. Many times we, have, we make resolutions that have to do with physical health. I'm going to get in shape this year. But what about our spiritual health? The Virgin Mary on this feast reminds us of her vocation, the vocation of motherhood. So it's a nice reminder for us and an opportunity to examine our own vocational health, to make a resolution to live it well. And of course, we all have that common vocation, the universal vocation to holiness. We are called to become one with God. How am I doing in living that vocation to holiness? How am I doing in living my vocation as a Christian, being a disciple and a follower, an imitator of Jesus himself? Then, of course, we have our own particular vocations. We have an opportunity to examine how we're doing with those. Whether we're a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a chaste single person, or like myself, a spiritual father, we have an opportunity to make a resolution to live it well. We enter into these sacred mysteries where the Lord gives us the grace we need, that supernatural strength, the supernatural power from on high, that we can say yes to our vocations. We can live it well. We can make resolutions and fulfill them in this new year.